And hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. Today is December the 13th, I think. Gosh, yes. I hope, so, or else I'm really confused. But welcome to Documentation Not Included, episode 8.0. Have app idea. Lots of question marks. Profit. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us live on Twitch. For those of you who are here live at Twitch, for those of you listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube or in one of our other various locations, which we're starting to cross-pollinate because we're like bees now, we hope to see you live in Twitch soon or maybe even on our show. We do like chatting with everybody. Remember, Thursday, 7 p.m. GMT. Now, we have our usual faces, obviously mine, but... Don't ignore, well, ignore me. Let's get on to the more important people. We have the guy with the epic beard, Chris. Oh, I thought you were going to say Patrick then. It's getting there. <laughs> He's trying. It's getting there. He's trying. <laughs> and of course we have Patrick. Indeed, I am here. And I keep forgetting you that forget. we have uh, audio listeners. Yes, so it, today I will try to make a way better job than last time where I was half of the podcast talking with my hands like Italian. I might have taken it from my roommate, unfortunately. Apologies for that. Ah, uh, no worries. And then, of course, tonight we are joined by Hamid Shojai, who is someone I have been dying to get on this show. I am not going to lie. <laughs> I appreciate that. I feel like I'm missing a headset. I, I got to get one of those giant headsets so that I can feel at home. Uh, it's what all the cool kids on podcasts do these days. We feel like we're yeah. in a studio. Anyway, Hamid, um, so if you want to introduce yourself, tell us what you do. Tell, uh, tell the audience uh, about your company and about your products, if you want. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, I'm Hamid Chojai. I've uh, been developing software for most of my adult life, um, actually even as a teenager. Um, and as an adult, I've uh, you know attempted at uh, several different software companies, and uh, Axosoft has been uh, one of the successful ones that has uh, created a few different products. Uh, it started out with a project management product by the same name, Axosoft, uh, and um, and then we also most recently have uh, created a product called Git Kraken, which is a Git client, and then Glowboards, which is uh, sort of a, another uh, attempt at a project management tool as well. Uh, and then I, I, I also uh, have founded another company called PureChat, which creates um, uh, live chat software and uh, uh, bot uh, software as well. So uh, a bunch, all of my sort of uh, uh, career experiences, software and software company related. Okay, excellent. So are you, um, are you still hands-on then? Do you still do development on a daily basis? I don't, not anymore. I don't write code anymore. Um, I, I loved it and uh, I miss it. That's probably the one thing that I miss the most, yeah. but I am still, I, I still consider myself somewhat technical. I can sort of uh, have, have a conversation about a various different uh, levels of so uh, topic. How do you find out about new technology and new languages, frameworks and things like that? Do you hear about them through your developers, I'm assuming? Yeah, exactly. Um, Still, yeah, but... like um, project management is something that's uh, critically undervalued, I'd say, in development in general, especially game development. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Most of the mm -hmm. most of the companies I've been working with throughout the six years of my career, um, they basically crashed and burned because of atrocious project management. Mm. So it's definitely gonna be interesting to pick your brain about about that topic and topic in in general of sort of. When you have people who want to do stuff and you have idea for stuff to do, how to how do you mesh it all together so it works instead mm -hmm. of crashing and burning? Yeah. 
But before we get into that, because I know we're going to lead right into the topics, but yeah, go ahead. I'll give you just a couple seconds because I have an icebreaker question of doom today. No, no, I, w- I was just going to say I, I agree. But sometimes also I feel like people make project management more complicated than it needs to be. Fundamentally, Absolutely. it's just making a list of stuff that you need to get done. Uh, and if it's just you, that could that list could be on a piece of paper or uh, on your phone or in an app or whatever. Uh, and if it's with multiple people, you just want to make sure that that list is shareable, right? Like fundamentally, that's all project management is. But... I love you. <laughs> the, well, see, the... see, I, I, I have to say there's one thing I think that's kind of missing. When you start getting into other people or having things, you have to make certain you're tracking the budget right and your resources, and you've got to make certain your scope is handled because if you're working alone, scope can go all over the place with creeping. And if you're working with the team, the same thing can happen, or you might have to deal with a resource where you've budgeted a certain amount of time, but someone's off sick. I mean, I think it's a little bit more than just a list, but... <laughs> In essence, I will say yes, it is a list. (laughs) In essence, bureaucracy often gets in the way of the... That I will agree with. The the doing, you know, let's say. Yeah, you want to have the, like, if you think of project management as just a list of stuff that you need to get done, and then, you know, like, that list can be shared amongst people, uh, then everything else that you just described, Josie, uh, you can think of that as, like, overhead, process overhead. Uh, Yeah. Process overhead can save you because uh, you, you know you don't overcommit or you don't uh, undercharge your customer when you know the project's going to cost you a million dollars and you've sold it for a half a million or whatever. So um, you know there's a lot of uh, those process overhead can save you from all of those type of things. Uh, but if you think of it as process overhead rather than just uh, you know anything else, basically, <laughs> then you try to minimize the process overhead. And it all becomes about the project. For this project, what's important? Is it mission critical? Are people going to die if it fails? You know, like all this other stuff. Uh, are we going to have to close our doors if the project is late? Or you know, you know, or all are all of these things not a big deal? Uh, and depending on the answers to those things, then you can sort of handle it with very little process or with a lot of process, right? Uh, if you're sending stuff to Mars. You can't fix it afterwards, right? Like, <laughs> so you, you want a lot of process overhead, and and that's okay. That's just an expense of the project. But uh, but you know. And this is why Hamid has joined us today. <laughs> These are things we're going to be digging into. But yes, your icebreaker question. We have a question every single episode. It changes, and it has absolutely nothing to do with development, has absolutely nothing to do generally with technology. Today could not be any further from the truth. I've actually handpicked this question for Patrick. Oh, I feel special. So here is your question. Would you go with aliens if they came to Earth and asked you to join them in outer space? Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, shit, I, damn it. Eight eight (laughs) minutes, eight (laughs) minutes. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I heard he only lasted two minutes the last time, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying on my thing. I, I would go with aliens only if to uh, teach them the art of swearing, the casual swearing, the non-committal <laughs> swearing that just sleeps over. So I feel like that's the appropriate answer. Why would you not say fuck yeah? Because, like, you would have to have really good reason. Like, the aliens seem violent. They, they killed a bunch of people before they it's how- the offer. It's how Josie phrased it. She phrased it in in the way that I would answer yes if they asked me to come. 
Right. If someone asks me to do something, I'll do. I might do it. Probably. Yeah. Probably will do and it. But you, know, but, you, but you know, they could still ask in a way that you wouldn't say no because of the implications. You, you might want to ask some pre-qualifying questions, like, <laughs> are we going to get back in a reasonable amount of time, or is it going to be a million years from now? And, have you got you know, a business process goes, diagram put yeah. together? Do have you? Uh... <laughs> Have we done a risk analysis, yes. anyone? We got an SDS <laughs> put myself in a heartbeat. I, I would be there, like I'd just be like, yes, and yes. I did phrase it that way, kind of on purpose. Oh. You think I? I think I'd go if they were violent. To be fair, I think I'd be happy just leaving the yeah. planet some days. I mean, violent would be fun <laughs> if if they would develop a taste for human flesh. I would be feeling slightly unsafe. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, why not? Just. Not like let's ignore the traversing of the stars, but just like experiencing the totally alien culture and the mode of thinking, the the experience that you would have, even if that would be forever, even if they would say, yeah, look, there is no return ticket. I'm like, yeah, why not? Uh, I will try my best to send back journals for the good of humanity, but if I can't, no big deal. <laughs> Remember, folks, if you have an answer to this fantastic question, we want to hear from you, hashtag DNI stream. I will state this. this The answer to this, and the way I phrase this, was done on purpose, because it actually deals with today's show. So something cool and exciting has just popped into your brain. And the very first thing I heard from pretty much all of us is, uh, yeah, fuck yeah, I would be up there. And then, all of a sudden, we get, well, they've asked me, but if they like human flesh, but if they do this other thing, but if there is this other thing, it's all How much human flesh? Can I spare some? <laughs> yeah, I, I could sacrifice an arm, probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know if I could. I, I, I'm quite partial to my arm, but I don't know. Maybe it's aliens. What if, what if they would give you like a Kikas alien prosthetic? Now, see at, that, see, at that point in time, I'm just like, the aliens are probably outside of their scope, and maybe we need to have a discussion <laughs> before we get and leave the planet. But, you know, there yeah. we go. So I did that on purpose. Sometimes I have a devious brain, sometimes I don't. I like it. Yeah, so, so with that in mind, uh, let's jump into our current topic, which is essentially the entire project management, businessy deals that most of the developers don't think about but they really should, right? So uh, we have plenty of topics to, to, to pick from at the start. And I'm going to be frank, I can't even pick because, because there's every, everything's interesting. So let's just go from right from the top, right? Um, so what if, you know, what if, let's say, I have an idea and I think it's a pretty good one because usually people think that their ideas are the tits. Uh, but how can I actually, how can I actually judge the um how much it's worth like how can i judge the worth of the idea that i have you probably can't i, I feel like it, it's really difficult to to judge i mean like uh you know if if you take some of the world's most successful companies uh whether uh we're talking about google or facebook or you know like um microsoft or twitter none of these guys knew what their sort of like uh markets were worth i mean not none of them uh, and, and then, of course, um, you take uh, the small, uh, super small ones. Um, sometimes, uh, you, know, you know, their markets expand rapidly. The only sort of markets that you know what is worth is established markets in which it's very difficult to penetrate unless you have a disruptive technology. 
So something like the car industry would be a good example of that, where the market size is very well known. It's like one and a half trillion dollars a year. Uh, and then uh, and then there's already established players, which is why, like, for 100 years, um, no company has been able to, like, penetrate it, uh, except for Tesla now in in the past 10 or 15. So but it's disruptive uh, in that case. Yeah, but, but yeah and, and they, they still have so many pains, though, yeah? Like, a Tesla still has so many, te- so many pains. Like, they keep having trouble with delivering. So even if you have a good disruptive technology in an established market, yeah. there no, still you... can be a problem. Oh, yeah, big time, big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so disruptive technology is uh, is disruptive because no one has done it before, too. So, like, that's the other problem is that uh, <laughs> disruptive technology tends to be difficult. Uh, so, you know, like, it, 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 your idea, if it's uh, if it's... Uh, disrupting an established market that uh, uh, is massive uh, is probably going to be very difficult to execute. It's super rare for things to be like easy. Mm. So, mm. would you say then that when you when we were talking about the value of the idea? So, I'm looking at this from let's say, for example, I come up with um, somebody gave me a suggestion years ago. If you want to make a product, make Facebook, but make it for a very very small catchment make it for a very right. small area of people like Facebook for dogs. I don't know, <laughs> a right. daft example. Guinea but pigs. Even, uh, yeah, yeah. Pig. Uh, or for guinea pig owners, there you go. Facebook for guinea pig owners. Uh, Facebook for uh, wool, people who knit. My, my yeah. wife is on one, she she uses it all the time and that's all she, she uses it more than Facebook. That kind of thing, but that was, a, that was one way to penetrate an existing market. Is that, that's not considered disruptive though, is it? Um, well, you, you know what? I mean, like, uh, I, I don't necessarily think every product has to be disruptive at a global scale. Uh, it, it is disruptive for your sort of customer base, right? Because, um, and I think that the suggestion to make, uh, you know, something like Facebook, but for a particular market segment is an excellent suggestion in general. You, you see it like Airbnb for uh, boats or for, for, you know, like other uh, things besides hotels uh, or Uber for uh, you know uh, for walking your dog or you know uh, where it's like dog walkers you sort of like they come to you and you you order it whenever you need it so like that same concept definitely applies uh, because it makes it uh, much easier to focus on a much more narrow market and then you create something that is disruptive and attractive to that market mm-hmm. so. Uh, Facebook for dogs would be much more attractive to to dogs uh, if it had features that were very dog specific, right? So, <laughs> so uh, I, I think uh, if you were sort of generalizing, I think that's a very good generalized. Uh, I could just imagine the up the Facebook update. Oh, look a ball! Oh my god! Oh my god! This ball is brilliant! <laughs> this ball is brilliant! That'll be human, amazing. Human left for <laughs> days alone. <laughs> We've all seen them. Human left for 30 minutes. Is he dead? <laughs> Stay tuned. All oh, the clickbait dog titles. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so that's that's one type of sort of marketing idea things. Most of the developers I know, myself included, and these lovely gentlemen here, will start by going, I need a tool that does something. Yeah. And I can't find it. Or every tool that I find specifically has something I don't want or is five steps way beyond what I need or 
has everything but the one thing I want, but I don't have the ability to update or modify. So maybe I'll do my own thing. That seems to be a a common, (laughs) pardon me, a common idea generator. For sure. And in fact, that's how I got my starts uh, as well. And uh, uh, I needed a tool that uh, helped me sort of keep track of who's working on what, uh, the project management stuff. And I was like, all I need is a shared list, essentially. Like, uh, I I want my spreadsheet to be, (laughs) you know, like, shareable uh, with other people. And of course, at the time, you know, Google Docs didn't exist. So maybe I wouldn't have created uh, Axosoft had it it existed or, you know, whatever. But... uh, but but that was sort of like the problem that I personally had that I wanted to solve. And uh, and it's a great way to start on a product because you already have insight into the customer. You know exactly the type of problems that, that your customers have because you are your customer. <laughs> and hopefully mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there just like you who are experiencing this problem. So... That is a great way to also start a um, product or uh, project and, and see where it goes. So, Hamid, how would you approach um, an idea for which that you are not a primary customer? Let's say you talk to a friend and a bunch of friends uh, tell you that, oh, they would like this one thing that doesn't exist and you actually have skill to make it. How do you go about it? Like, do you do some broader market research? Um I mean that's yeah. the classical yeah. route, isn't it? Doing doing research and and development before. I'd also throw out that if if a friend has said something to you nine times out of a ten, you then grill your friend. Oh, really? What that's is right. it you don't like? What is it you're looking for? What is it you really wish you had? What is your dream list? What are the low hanging fruits? What would you be satisfied with? What wouldn't you be satisfied with? What would make an MVP? What wouldn't make an MVP? And then like drill even deeper, but because you have access to at least one. Right. You want to be able to get them in and hopefully help you develop the sort of uh, the, develop the product in they become the sort of product uh, expert, right, in, in that sense, uh, or at least give you insights into what the problem should uh, or product should look like and the problems that it's trying to solve. Uh, but definitely having uh, insight into how to solve the problems is key to success uh, in any product category. And uh, and if, you know, you happen to be the expert in it because, you know, you're creating a product for yourself, uh, then that makes it a lot easier because you don't need an external person. But if you're not creating a product for yourself and you're creating it for other people and you're not going to be the user, then you definitely need the user, some uh, example of the user to be close to you and answer all these questions that uh, Josie just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I, I, I've, I'm now going to sort of shift it because ideas, I think when it comes to developers, most of us end up in dev one way or another because we're curious and we're always going to explore and break things because we're just horrible that way. But let's move to the thing that 99% of developers I know fear. It is we now have the idea. We've built, we'll say, a prototype. So we kind yeah. of have a proof of concept. But now how do I make money? How do I do this thing called marketeche? <laughs> you know? Do and you now, mean it just doesn't fall from the sky? Like that's not how it works? See, I, I yes. bring this up because I happen to know quite a few developers who had, we'll say, their million dollar idea. And 
they I've I've seen a couple of different paths taken. I've seen people join accelerators to be partnered up and find investors. I've seen people just go after the investor route with angel investors and other things like that. And these are all topics we will explain if need be. So don't worry, because these are going to be words that some developers I know are like, <sighs> and I know some who have refused to touch investors at all in any way, shape or form, because they see them as the conspiracy reptilian creatures or something like that. Uh, looking at you, Patrick, don't worry. I got to get the conspiracy in at least once in an episode. But yes, so there are so many different paths to take. And I'm curious if you had had experience with each of the different types, or if there are even some I haven't even mentioned. Yeah, um, so, so yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, when you, um, you have an idea, you create a product, and uh, the next stage is not making money, believe it or not. I mean, like that might be what you want, but that never happens. Uh, it doesn't even happen for very well-funded companies So uh, that create amazing products that really take off. Usually, the, the next step is actually getting user adoption. And I think a lot of, like, user adoption can come, up, come in a couple of ways. You can try to sell your product, uh, in, even in the early stages. Uh, and try to get people to pay for it and get some users to uh, use it and uh, and get going. Uh, I'm a terrible person uh, when it comes to sales. I don't know how to do sales very effectively. So, uh, and I don't like people in general. So, <laughs> so like, uh, well, it's documentation not included. And, and the last thing I want to do is like talk about my product and like sell it to you. So. Um, so, so, so I've always avoided that, uh, like, like the plague. So what I have done is tried to get user adoption by uh, generally giving the product away for free in the early stages of, of, uh, of product development so that, you know, I can get users without having to uh, go uh, sell them on it. Uh, and, and that tends to work fairly uh, easily if you have something that, um, uh, that has some value in it for, for users. Uh, then once you build a, a user base and you start getting feedback, you're like, okay, you know, like now uh, you're, you're getting some information that's useful where you can take that back to the product and improve the product. Uh, and, it, and then you can either charge for future versions of the product uh, or you can charge from a particular date onward. Uh, so uh, whatever you sort of decide to do, I mean, there's obviously different paths. Uh, it, it's going to take time. It's never easy. It always takes longer than you expect or want. Um, and uh, depending on uh, product category, team size, et cetera, it could cost nothing to, uh, in terms of it might be just your time in its development, or it could cost millions of dollars. And I've done all of those things. Um, and you might have to go raise money if you want to spend millions of dollars to create it, which I have also done in the, in the form of Angel. Uh, or you might do it organically. Just start by yourself, and as you get sales, you invest back into the company, which is what I did for Axosoft. So, um, so I, you know, like I'm happy to explore any of those things, but uh, but there's a lot of stuff that I just put out there. <laughs> yeah, there is an awful lot there. I mean, I I can speak from the experiences that I have had because I admit I. I I have a thing I want to see succeed really, really badly. And okay. um, user adoption has been exceptional, like really, 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 really good. I'm second guessing pricing at this current moment in time 
And one of the biggest fears I have is if I play too much in the pricing world, the user adoption that I have currently is going to falter really yeah. badly. That's um, a good thing to have. And it's one of those things where I remember, because uh, I've watched talks you've given it that I wanted you to have on here, because some of the things you said are awesome. But you made a comment about something that you had done with Pure Chat which I thought was really fascinating because you started out with one pricing model, went to something else entirely, and then like you, you did this bouncy thing. Right. Your pricing until you actually ended up settling. How it, like how would you judge the right time to take that risk? Also, how yeah. does it impact uh, the adoption rate? Because uh, at least my gut feeling is that whenever you increase the prices, people hate it. People much yeah. rather have a bigger price upfront and then maybe drop it down than to have a smaller price and then have to pay more. Uh, well, it, unfortunately, it doesn't work well in, in that scenario for the company. So I'll, I'll tell you uh, uh, in just a little bit, but um, but going back to answer your question, Josie, about like when, when do you start doing that? It largely depends on your tolerance level and uh, where you are in, in mm -hmm. your own sort of like needs as uh, uh, as a developer or as, as an entrepreneur or whoever. Uh, if you have a need for this thing to pay for your expenses, then you kind of need to do it sooner than, than later, right? Like right, that might right. be a fact of life. Um, with PureChat, uh, since you brought that up, um, one of the things that we did, we had a fairly substantial team working on PureChat uh, at Axosoft, and we decided like, we have a product here that's very, very successful. It's getting like super rapid uh, user adoption. Uh, we had uh, offered it for free, but we had like six people working on it on a full-time basis. Uh, so the expenses were fairly substantial. Uh, and then we decided we're gonna separate it out into its own company and we're gonna do a raise. Uh, we're gonna uh, raise some money to sort of uh, see if we can uh, have it be self-funded essentially uh, and continue to grow it. Um, and then what we did is we started, uh, when we separated out into its own company, we started charging for the product. And what that did is that the, this product that was sort of the user adoption was growing like this, started to sort of flatline in terms of user growth. Uh, and and we the way in which we went about charging was probably not ideal, um, but our revenues started growing rapidly and we you know had revenue and we got to a point where we're a, a self-sustained company and, and uh, uh, break even uh, or profitable to some extent. So uh, it's all sort of like, uh, you know, like doing one kind of cause the other, but like we now have revenue and it pay for, pays for itself. And now we have like more time to experiment with other things. Um, looking back, we could have probably been a little bit more mild in, in terms of the way we uh, monetized it. And we probably should have offered a, uh, a, a more powerful version that was still free to continue the adoption growth. And that's why when we t take a look at Git Kraken, for example, we've, t uh, we've taken a slightly different approach where Git Kraken, uh, for the large part, is an honor-based system, meaning like you pay for it if you're using it commercially. That's our license. Now, do we have people who are using it commercially who are not paying for it? Yeah, probably, right? Like, mm. uh, probably countries that we don't get money from, like China and India. Like, that, <laughs> like just that's what they do, you know? Like, uh, and, and that's okay because we're getting the user adoption uh, 
not, not that it's okay to pirate, but you, you get the sense yeah. of mm. like you're getting some percentage of people to pay for it. And, uh, and that still has allowed the user growth to continue on that curve. Uh, so that's sort of that's sort of like the the Adobe business model where they don't mind people pirating them because everyone gets ado- addicted to Adobe products, and when they actually join workforce, they force the companies to adopt Adobe Suite. It, it, yeah. it, it, it goes back to the school system, you know. If you can get into the school system with your product, and here's a little bit of advice for you: if you can get into the school system with a product that fits a particular niche, and that's what they learn to do, whatever it is they're doing on, I can guarantee you, when they leave, they'll take it with them. And right. that's how Adobe totally dominated the art world. It's not that there weren't other products; it's just they had a darn good marketing team, and they offered hey, you're going to be taking this class on how to do Photoshop or some kind of artistic work, and you will get a license that will only last as long as your semester. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's, that's exactly right. And, you know, the way to look at it when you're a software company is if someone's not going to pay for your product, these, these are potentially your choices. Like if someone's not going to pay for your product, which a student will not, right, or the choice is that they're going to use somebody else's product, would you rather them use your product and not pay for it or someone else's product, which you still don't get any money for? Right? So, so, so you, you know, at least if they use your product and they don't pay for it, uh, there's a chance that someday they might. There's a chance that they're going to refer a friend that might. Uh, there, there's a chance that, you know, like uh, the word of mouth grows uh, or, you know, they provide other sorts of feedback that might be valuable. Uh, all of that, there's a chance for. If they use somebody else's product, <laughs> that's like the worst of all scenarios, right? Not only do you not get any money from them, but now this product has one more user and there's a chance that that user is going to refer other product people to this product and someday down the road, they might pay for this product. So all of those potential benefits for you actually go away and become somebody else's benefits. So this uh, sounds to me just like uh, networking. When you, you go to a networking meeting or you speak to other business people, you, you may give something away for free or you may give the time or your consultation or, or your expertise or something like that. Because, not necessarily be, because of this, you know, because that's your nature most of the time, but you may end up getting referrals sometime down the line that it might change your life. You have no idea what's going to happen. But if you generally are providing, you know, going to a networking meeting every week, you know, and you're, um, you're offering value to that group of people, they they will reciprocate in some way at some point in the future by paying for your services, by getting someone else to pay for your services. It's a very similar thing I'm seeing here, but it's yeah. not the way I've ever thought about software. Because when I think about software, I think about all of the costs involved in it, the time yeah. that it takes to develop it. There are people who don't have the luxury of having a, de- a de- development team in place. They've put something together in their own free time, in their own spare time, and then now now got a product. They've got nobody to support this product. What happens then? Right. What happens when they have to spend all of their time supporting the free users and not well, having... That's a great question. So when was the last time you were using something for free that was not advertiser supported, like, uh, you know, like Google or whatever, but... Uh, that you expected this amazing support from. Uh, chances are you don't have such expectations. So, 
Yeah. You know, like uh, uh, Josie, you mentioned that you have a product out there that is getting really good user adoption. You're not charging for it. Oh no, it's 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 it. There is a payment model in place. Just not certain it's the right payment model, which was what I was contemplating. But right. yes. But but if people are using it for free, uh, chances are they're not expecting this amazing uh, support now. And yet uh, they, they get it. Email, <laughs> say again. And yet they get it. Yeah, <laughs> I tend no, to be awesome. a support freak. So that, that's yeah. the perfect. That's that's the perfect thing. That's the right thing to do as a developer. But support basically costs you as the developer of the product as much as you want to put into it. Now, if you're building it from the sense of like someday I'm gonna make this into a business and I want like my customers to be extremely happy and and that's standpoint, then you put in time for support and you. Uh, you delight your customers by giving them quick responses and giving them satisfactory answers, right? Uh, and that does have a cost associated with it. If it's just you, it's just your time. So you can decide how much of your time you put into support, uh, and uh, you, you know, you get through whatever you get through, and then the rest you ignore. Um, I mean, that might be one approach, right? Mm. Um, but going back to something Patrick uh, mentioned, which is that uh, it, you know, like um, customers tend to be uh, tend to like having a higher price first, and then if, if anything coming down on price, uh, that might be true from a end user point of view. Like if something was going to cost money, you'd rather it cost a hundred dollars and then maybe go down. Um, that's only true from an end user if you haven't already purchased it, uh, but. Here's what happens from the company's perspective. So let's say you charge $100 for, for something and then you get 1,000 customers. Uh, and let's just say for, for sake of argument, since we live in a SaaS world, it's $100 per month. And you get 1,000 customers and you now have $100,000 per month in revenue. Uh, again, just a uh, uh, random example. Uh, and then you're like, I probably overpriced this thing and I should price it at $50 per month, not 100. Well, now all of a sudden you can't do that. Uh, why can't you do that? Because, well, it would cut your revenues from $100,000 to $50,000. Uh, and now uh, you, will, you will lose $50,000 of your revenues guaranteed if you lower the price for everyone to 50. Whereas the other way going up is, is much easier to do. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to increase your prices for existing customers. So hmm. if you had done $50 to begin with, uh, and you have, uh, you know, a thousand customers and chances are you would have actually had more than a thousand since it was a lower price. Um, but now you have $50,000 in revenue, increasing your price to a hundred because you underpriced it for whatever reason, uh, has no repercussions in terms of like your immediate revenues, because you could have kept the, the price the same for all of your existing customers. So they still pay you 50,000 the next month, uh, and new people just pay you the hundred dollar rate. So. It's much easier to take your price up, uh, much more difficult to take your price down. That, that's that's perfect. A, you, 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 you've seen this just happen recently, Patrick, in the gaming world. You know, we've had a couple of games that came out and like within the next month they were slashed in price, you know, Tomb Raider, Fallout, what have you, and the entire public lost their bacon. That's a, that's a really good point that I haven't considered because yeah, when you, when you raise the price, you can you can grandfather the old customers so you don't right. generate any any bad will, and uh, also you paradoxically you generate a lot of goodwill because uh, you sort of encourage early adoption. 
and then you can sort of get people like, huh, maybe I should buy it now because what if they're gonna rise prices again? That's a point I haven't considered. Yeah. Early but access. Just to be clear, there's always going to be people who are going to be upset whenever you you, you know you uh, charge or uh, raise prices on anything. I mean, like, and that's or legitimate. even make a change. Or <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> add a new feature, make something available to one tier but not another tier. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and that's legitimate end user sort of concerns. Uh, that, that happens with everything. So uh, you know, it's just. There, there's tons of people out there. You don't have to satisfy all of them. Yeah. Just hopefully the ones that are your actual target audience. <laughs> you know, that's it, it's one of those things. Right. Um, so we have questions that we have had come in from a variety of people. And remember, yeah. guys, if you do have other questions, feel free to jump in. But I'm just going to try and make certain I get questions that were sent in. Um, so someone, <laughs> I'm assuming this is a question from one of you guys. Why is my idea better than my competitors and does it really matter? <laughs> so I guess it comes down to the fact that we live in a world where nine times out of 10, most of the ideas you have aren't going to be revolutionary, game-breaking, Facebook or Twitter concept, which actually originally started back with MySpace and even back a little further with I think it was Ulalu or something like that. There, there were other things, and they all kind of evolved. And thus, you had your breakout product on Facebook. So, you're going to have a competitor, right? It'll be slightly different. Does it matter if your idea is better, or does it just matter if it's slightly different? Or how do, how do you succeed well, over over your competitors? The problem, the problem is that it's really difficult to judge whether or not your idea is better. Uh, and it's mm. even more difficult for you to judge it who are biased, uh, who have a very biased viewpoint, right? Like uh, about your, your own idea. Uh, so I think like uh, ultimately the market decides whether your product uh, is better. Uh, and the market doesn't just decide based on product. It, it decides based on a number of different factors, which include, uh, uh, you know, like, do they even know about it? <laughs> right? Like that's the whole marketing side of things. So how do we, uh, how do we minimize that exposure then? I'm thinking about this for, as a, I mean, I'm a, a consultant. I, I work on my own. Uh, most of the time I do work as part of a team occasionally, but it's usually for a, an established company that's got a product that needs to be developed. So I input into that. Um, at this point where we have, um, a product in place or we've sorry at the point before we've actually developed the product we've done our research as much as we can we've got an idea and we think it's going to be great how do we minimize this uh, the exposure the amount of time that this is going to take considering there isn't much time available with there just being one person or two people available on a particular project yeah so, so the, you're talking about minimize the part about building the product or yeah, marketing so We've talked about proof of concepts and MVPs. Right. Is that a good idea to get that out to the public as early as possible? I mean, I, I know the answer to this specifically because I've done a few different ways of approaching uh, MVPs and RATs. There's a, another term for rapid, uh, sorry, riskiest assumption test, which is similar to an MVP. But you essentially take the riskiest assumption that you have about a particular product and then you... First. Yeah, and then you test that. It doesn't even have to be the end product. You just test to see if that, you know, you put something out that 
sees if somebody opens up a leaflet, for example. Are they actually reading this leaflet? Are they spending longer than 30 seconds reading it? You know, that kind of thing. Um, kind of went off track a little bit. But yeah, essentially I'm saying is, when do we get the users in? Are early adopters more important for long term or are they how do we i don't know this is this this is the answer i don't know what what do we yeah. do with these people at the... i've got an answer for this as well so because yeah. i I, ha I have experience on that one <laughs> <laughs> so i have a slightly different take i mean i think that mvp conceptually is a good idea and understanding to have uh, and uh, definitely doing you know highest risk things first and making sure that you can even uh, you can even accomplish the things that you're assuming you can accomplish uh, by tackling the highest risk items first is definitely the right way to build products. Um, but uh, when it comes to MVPs, sort of people sort of think of MVPs as like, I'm just going to build like a minimum uh, viable product in that like it's something that's usable. And that's not what an MVP should really be. Uh, an MVP needs to be the minimum viable product that you're customer would accept <laughs> uh, over all of the existing solutions that they already have. So you have to like have mm. this additional qualifier for an MVP. And if you don't, I think it's very easy to create something that is crap and nobody will adopt it. And then you'll, uh, you'll say, it's a good thing I didn't invest in that product because even the MVP failed to get any adoption. So, so I saved so much money. And you just sort of self-validating. So I was to say, as a developer then, you, you focus on getting, uh, when we talk about MVPs, we focus on getting something out, get it done as quickly as possible. I'm not going to put all of my layers in there. I'm not going to do my architecture like I normally would. I, I wouldn't, I maybe won't even put as much validation or make the UI look as pretty as I normally would for a fully finished product. However, <laughs> it's important to note there that some users, depending on what product you're putting together, may value that validation. They may value the usability, the UX, and the, the front end stuff that you don't think is valuable because you think that it's getting like, the data is uh, right valuable, you know? Especially if they have another uh, alternative solution that, yes. uh, that addresses their needs and, you know, you know is better, uh, has a better user experience. Uh, Josie, go ahead and jump in here. It sounds like you. I, <laughs> you I, might I, see, this, is, this is the interesting thing, right? If you have uh, a product that you are developing, and I'm going to speak from a, a little bit of experience here, and you create and you bring out that, in this particular case, this sort of rats kind of a thing, you bring out what is going to be your riskiest thing, what is literally, in, in this particular case, the spine of what the product will be. It is pretty much one of your biggest selling points. If this doesn't work, there's no reason for you to bother wasting your time kind of a deal. Right. If you, like you said, Chris, you're not having all of the validation in there and it's not the prettiest thing it could be or what have you, having witnessed this firsthand, users didn't know what it should have looked like. Users didn't know what they wanted. When users started becoming the early adopters, when they were getting in, when it was 100% free with a beta tag written and scraped all over it so people understood that this like this was a concept that is now usable and functional but there's going to be issues like just completely slathered all over it with no hint of when it will leave beta what we found as a result was that the users actually influenced 
all of that stuff, what they thought should right. be the way to use it, what type of UX they should have, because they would expect when they're doing this one particular task, then they expect the mouse to move mm. a particular way or a particular part of the actual tool to highlight a certain way. And that actually fed us the information we needed to create what we ended up creating. And it also built for us a huge group of people who did nothing but brag about us. So when we finally went from MVP, a little bit of testing, oh, we've got a new feature. How does that work for you? Does it feel good? Is it a little good? Is it wrong? Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? And then when we came out of beta and we went proper live, people were like, oh, let me get my credit card. And they were blown away because all of a sudden the UI changed and it grew and they adapted with it. They, There is this fantastic book and this comes from someone who's a community manager. My main focus in anything that I do is community. There is a book on how to make your users badass. If you have not read this book, you need to read it because in the end, your users will either make or break you. And that includes you, you yourself as a user, if you happen to use the product, and I happen to use the product that I am a Josie, part of. What so, is the title yes. of the book? I believe it's simply how to make your users badass or badass users. I just wrote this uh, thing up. Oh my gosh. We're gonna get that we're gonna get that in the description. Though I have a counterpoint for the entire idea of uh, you know the sort of early re release and early betas and stuff like that. I users are awesome. There we go. That de that depends on your um, on your target demographic and their technical proficiency. Because Justice said something very important. When the users go in, they don't read their mind. They don't know what the end product is going to supposed to look like. They're gonna judge you by what you have, and that's very very apparent in game development, where a lot of gamers are totally not technical development type of deal. And there were games and game companies which flat out died because they they released alpha and they released and they said like this this is gonna change. They even provide like concept art and mockups of how it's all supposed to end up looking, but people still totally ignored it. They post, uh, you know, they, they got essentially the sort of fame of this is a shitty product, don't bother. And then no, no amount of marketing could break through that because everyone was just convinced that it's a shit product, it's not gonna improve and there's, there's no bother, like just don't bother with it. So I, I, I think I'd say buyers audience. beware of that idea. Well, see, that's yeah, a, it is, it is a, definitely know your audience. Like in, in Josie's case, I think that your MVP like had something or solved a problem that there was currently no solution for. Yes. So you didn't have your user base that was using your product didn't have a choice to go to something else. Uh, and no, so no, like no, no. There, there was something similar. There was something similar. So this was sort of coming in as sort of a, a slipshot. Uh, the okay. idea originated because somebody was procrastinating, <laughs> and this yeah, became their procrastination but, but, tool. But then, but, but then your MVP in that case was probably not an MVP. It was actually superior to the previously uh, previous product in its category, and, and that's what I mean. I want to believe that. I really, really do. So I think there's a. That's where, like, I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs miss the uh, uh, misunderstand what an MVP is. MVP is actually the minimum superiorly viable product in a product category. So it has to be superior for doing something. So if you think about like, for example, when Apple created their first iPhone, mm. uh, like their MVP 
was a phone that was superior to all other phones. They couldn't not put in certain features that everyone already had. They had to have all of those features plus the additional of like, you, you know, the, the zoom pinch to zoom and, you know, like all this elastic uh, scrolling and all this other stuff that was like truly like be above and beyond what anybody expected. So it has to like, if you're going to create a market, a product, let's say for the CRM market today, you can't just put something that just like lists your contacts anymore, right? Like that MVP would have worked out great in 1984, but like today it has to do way more than just a list of contacts. And that's what I mean, like where, you, you know, you can't just put out just a bit small piece of the product and say, oh, but this CRM is going to be so much greater. It's just no one's going to ever use it. Um, I, I will also throw out that if you, like in our case, there was a product out there already that was doing something like what we were doing. Our difference was the fact that our MVP or however, whatever you want to call it, what it was we were doing and using in our beta was free. Oh, that's that's another great so, so that, like, another great disruptor, by the way. You know, free like, is uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it brought G a huge user group. It really did. Gmail was one of those, uh, like, used one of those free uh, things as a disruptor. That you know, like, when everybody else was giving ten megabytes of uh, storage space, and everyone was running into this ten megabyte limit uh, on free email, web-based email. Uh, Gmail came out and said, we'll give you a gigabyte. It was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> what? I, I remember when I was um, waiting, I was in school at the time when all of this crazy stuff was happening. And I remember turning to a friend and going, have you gotten an invite yet? Yeah. That sense of exclusivity actually mm -hmm. added to it. But at the time, Google already had a name for themselves. They already had a brand to back yeah. what they were doing. Most of us, when we come up with an idea, even if we present a product out, our prototype, our rats, our MVP, whatever, don't know what to do then. And I, this is, I think, one of the things that a lot of um, developers miss. I mean, I mean, you said something brilliant and every one of us can agree, we hate people. Don't make me talk to people. Please don't make me do that thing where I have to engage with somebody in a conversation. Uh, you know, that, that whole side of awkwardness. Right. The community building side of things, that user engagement. The only reason why I, I think it's the particular product that I'm speaking of and I'm being vague on purpose that I'm involved in, the things started out with just a very basic idea and a tiny bit of SEO that was just as successful as you can expect, which means money had to actually be put in to market it, to keyword right. it. And decisions had to be made is, should we actually do these, say, Google AdWords, or should we advertise in another location, or should we tap this other market? And I think that's something that also gets neglected. Just because you've built someone something doesn't mean they're going to come. It doesn't work that way. You have right. to make certain the word gets out. And even just trying to get the first three people. I don't know about any of you, but how many of you have built a product, built an app, or built something, and turned to your friends and said, hey, what do you think? And every single one of them went, meh. 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 I can see its purposes. Yeah. It, finding those really, really early adapters, I think, actually takes a little bit of investment. Out of curiosity, Hamid, 
what's the smallest amount you've invested for the largest return? Well, and what uh, was it in? Usually an investment of time at, at, a, at a minimum, right? Like, so um, I remember uh, when I was in college, I, I created a contact management tool for myself and, um, and I put it out at the time. There was no uh, World Wide Web, but there was FTP sites and people who created shareware products would put them out on these FTP sites like Indiana University had one of the most popular FTP sites. And I put it out on there and, there, you know, every file that was put on there would have like a little readme. And people would constantly look onto those FTP sites for what's new and download them and start using them. Uh, and the readme just said, you know, hey, like, uh, let me know if you're using this thing. Uh, send me an email. Uh, or at the time, uh, I don't think email was even super common. So I had my address. So I started receiving like letters at home. Yes. <laughs> Wow. I didn't even ask for money, but some people said like it was so uh, useful to me that they had like a ten dollar bill in in the letter or whatever they they wanted like future updates or whatever. So um, cute. Yeah, so like it, it's uh, you you know oftentimes there's communities where you can like put your uh, put what you've created onto. Uh, today there's like sites like Product Hunt, right? Like that would be sort of like the equivalent mm. back then's FTP site where you can launch products on or put it on Reddit or. Uh, Hacker News or whatever the case might be, and, and I think a lot of these, <laughs> and I think a lot of these sort of uh, venues are uh, low cost to free, but it takes time to either uh, you, you know build yourself up in the community so that your post doesn't go unnoticed, um, mm -hmm. you, you know, or you can spend some money on uh, on executing it. How would you um, say? How would you say you'd go about breaking into a community? where you're intending to sell a product without them being Ooh, sussed, yeah. you know, oh, sussing uh, that out. But the community manager uh, in me has just cringed in a way that has, like, it's it's almost as bad as Darth Securitas. Absolutely. Okay? Yeah. So here is how I like to look at things. Everything that you do makes certain that you agree with ethically and morally, number one. Yeah. Number two, <laughs> if you are trying to break into a community so that you can advertise you're missing the point of the community building exercise. Well, uh -huh. In the end, when you find a community, like for example, there is a community that I have purposefully engaged myself with because I know a product that I have available actually benefits them. Do I mention my product? No. I spend more time engaging and building relationships. And if someone happens to go, well, What's this? I will casually mention something and right. let it go. If I am going to advertise my product in a community, I go directly to the community leads or to the website leads and I go, do you accept advertising? Oh, yeah. I yeah. don't do that whole subversive manipulation kind of thing because yeah. what I do as a community manager is I want to know my community. I want to know while I'm reading what someone said, I go, oh, you had that frustration? we have something that can fix that, or we don't have that yet. We need to make that a part of our thing because that would actually solve that problem. It's almost like a research tool because someone's going to use a tool differently than I will. And right. I want to make certain that what I'm bringing to them is actually benefiting them. I know wholeheartedly that I believe in whatever product it is I'm representing in that particular sphere or else I wouldn't do it. I've, I've turned away so many people who've come to me for community management because I don't believe in what they're doing. Right. And yes. I still 
build the relationships. It's always got to be the relationships first. And then if you really want to do the advertising, bloody pay the damn site owners. I think that uh, th there's also like uh, different ways to do it, right? Like uh, right. some communities, such as, for example, Quora, uh, people might be specifically asking for recommendations on a particular topic, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in the, in the examples that you cite, uh, Josie, I think you're right that, like, if you're especially if you're new to the community, you should never be advertising. But there might be sort of like fundamental ways that you could do it in a subtle way that has that still provides value. So if you're responding to a question, you're responding with legit value answer, uh, but your signature might contain, uh, you, you know, Hamid, founder of like whatever. Yeah. Right? So. There might be that those ways in which you could do it in a subtle way, and uh, and it's not necessarily advertising or blatantly going out there and 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 saying it. But yeah, I agree. You don't, you don't want to be the guy in the community. You don't want to be the guy at the party who's selling stuff, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, having a good time, and you're and you're like, I don't need a house right now. It's really interesting because this is actually something that I've seen literally from both sides, something that's like really well done and the sort of crash and burn horribly way to do. And I won't be mentioning the other side, but uh, the one that does it really well, and this is where I actually learned how to do community outreach and how to sort of promote your work through being helpful, helpful and useful to community is Elysian Shadows. It's a Dreamcast game development project where um, we not we not only just we have like our own little community, but we also do Twitch streams uh, where we actually don't talk about our game all that much. We're mm -hmm. mostly helping other people. Like people are coming in and they have questions about art and design to me. They have questions about pixel art. They have questions about shaders to Falco or our. Uh, the engine programmer or about C++ templating you have not and we're literally gonna we're spending often six hours every weekend if not more literally helping other people but that pays out in huge amounts but this is something that you have to do years in advance this is not something that you can just do drop at that hat like we're releasing right. in a month let's start doing community outreach now nah, you have to start it years in advance you have to establish your brand so to speak and right. and make those connections so you're not chill you're actually in the yeah. end you just have to be a genuine person who wants to help and then people are gonna help you if your only goal is to advertise your product just pay for the advertisement as Josie says the thing is and this to me is one of the most critical things when it comes to sort of brand marketing and it doesn't make a difference whether you're trying to sell a book you're trying to sell a product or sort of anything else along those lines in the end people are more interested in what you can give them <laughs> than what they can give you. Mm -hmm. This is not to say that people are selfish because it, it, it all it literally means is that the world is of Sonder. Everyone's living their lives. They've got their goals. They've got their dreams. They've got their hopes. They've had their bad days and their good days. And if they have found you, your product, your book, your, your anything, if they have found your identity and they find that you are more than just pay me money, that you actually genuinely care about their success, whether it's a product you're helping to solve development issues on or whether it's a story you're trying to tell because you want to entertain somebody, it makes no difference. If they see that there is more to you than dollar signs, pound signs, yen or whatever currency you're working in, they're more likely to go, you're cool. 
I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. It's so, why I'm absolutely in love with Keith, but that Keith is not, just a... None of your answers there actually um, gave anybody the answer they wanted. You all oh, of you, easy? all of you, just said that it's it's you, you can't. You have to do everything. If yeah. you're a one man band and you have a product idea, you have to come up with the idea. You have to do the research. You have to break into a market as early as you possibly can in the development cycle. You have to do the development yourself. You have to do any marketing yourself. You have to all of the things that we would classically this, this do to get a product. Is what it comes down to, yeah, it is that not is easy. That is the reason why not everyone's doing it. You've got to do the support yourself. Or there's more failure than there is success. Yes. I will stress, don't let a failure in a project or something like stop you. I mean, if it's something you really want to do. All of my personal projects have failed. Personal projects. Because I haven't. I haven't got past certain hurdles. All of my all of my business and commercial projects succeed because there's money behind them and there's already a support system there. But when we're developing a brand yeah. new idea, that's the painful one. Mm. Interesting. I uh, by the way, I had an epiphany that that's uh, super interesting. I would challenge your Chris your uh, your statement about all of your commercial projects succeed because they have money behind them. Okay. Uh, I, I tend to think that that's not true if you're creating new products or product categories. Um, I, I think even a company like Google has like tons of failures for oh, every yeah. successful one. But, um, but this is something that occurred to me the other day is that like we tend to have like um, uh, a much higher uh, view of our prediction ability because we have been able to predict so many failures. Uh, and, and it occurred to me that like when 95% of projects or products fail anyway, you could literally have no knowledge of a product or a category or whatever and just, and just say, or company, and say, oh, yeah, it's going to fail and still have a 95% accuracy rating. I mean, like, what category can you... Excuse what, what, me, I'm going to make some bets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you know, we get this sort of, like, bias in our head that, like, oh, I am so good at determining whether things are going to succeed or not. I knew that was going to fail. I knew that was going to fail. These guys were, you know, out of their mind. But mm. the reality is that it's really, really difficult to know what's going to succeed. Mm. Uh, and it's like generally you can have 95% accuracy rate by thinking everything is going to fail. Yeah. So, um, so you got to you got to balance that out. Like if I had looked at Twitter and you know, like the the idea behind Twitter, and somebody said, "I'm going to create this thing where you know you could write." what you're doing and like announce it to the world and other people would like follow you and subscribe to your announcements and be like are you are you out of your mind I do, you mean, think, like, yeah. you, do you think the age of technology do you think the technology age that we live in these days with everybody being on a social network everything being put well, not everything but a lot of things being public do you not think that we under, we're starting to understand social behavior more because we've got all of this data available to us we're starting to understand the the, the no you don't? No, I, I think no, we I, are. I, I, I don't. I, 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 the only reason why I say I don't think is because I think what we're seeing is what was already there, and it's not necessarily helping us get to the next stage. No, but <laughs> to this point, you are learning more about that, like uh, social behavior, more like in that, like well, everyone. Well, enough with that, yeah. Information, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, like uh, all these social media platforms are proving that we're all seeking affirmation, even if we're sort of like uh, uh, the uh, the ones that don't talk, right? Like in social settings Lurkers. or whatever. 
yeah. we're all we, lurkers. We, we, we all want more followers. We all want more likes on our, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like th there's this sort of like interesting phenomena that existed that we didn't necessarily know about it. Well, that's so a group mentality thing. We've always known that we want to be part of the group. Uh, we always, this is why you have those kinds of things. Which you smaller groups so. Yes, that even introverts wanted wanted that, right? Like, but well, even introverts want that. Yeah, but see, I th I think that's something. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because of the books and stuff that I read growing up. And stuff. So but until, it's something that I've kind of already known. Until it's just the that that way to do it in a slightly safe manner. But I also want to point out, we might keep going if we're not careful. Timing oh, yeah, is of right. essence. Yeah, that's I, I had a really nice closing thought. But you guys are so talkative, I just couldn't get in. So, we just want um, to keep going. I just, yeah, so before we close in, I just wanted to go back to the previous topic about failures, uh, when Chris said that all of his commercial projects uh, were successful. Uh, for me, uh, as, as you, Hamid, said, 90-something uh, percent of my commercial projects that I've been working for for those six years as a game developer all failed. Like, there was literally one or two successes, but still, I felt like, even though I was part of that failure, I failed forward. So here is, I would say, advice for everyone. Um, if you want to make things, you will fail, but learn to fail forward. Don't have failures that will destroy you. Have it so that always, by the end, you're sort of a little bit more ahead, be it in your outreach, popularity, or uh, financial stability, or knowledge, or contacts, anything. Always make sure that whatever you're working on brings something to you or to your company, so the failure doesn't destroy the entire thing. I like that thought. Right. Yes, and I want to give a very special thank you to Envina, who's been pesting words. I give up on the English language today, but yeah, who's been pasting a lots of things and stuff and who has made a comment about Blizzard dropping in stocks after announcing some things, etc. Even though they've been on a high, you can't make predictions as she's pointing out. I, I think what I need to say is, Hamid, we can have you back again someday, yes? It was fun, yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not like I'm not going to stalk you in other ways. <laughs> I'm, I'm a user stalking of his products. Underrated. Full disclosure. I think stalking is a good thing. <laughs> Full disclosure. I, I am a user of the Get Crack, and I'm wearing my Keith t-shirt today. Um, I love Keith. If you ever want to do something really cool for a product and you can't figure out what to do, build an awesome mascot and do crazy things with him. Hmm. I was so excited when they released Keith's closet. Keith migrates and shifts into all these fantastic things. I mean, we've seen I him in Neo. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping. I, I have a request, and I'm like, I've got all my fingers crossed that I get oh. my request. What, what is it? Tell me. Oh, nepotism. Um, uh, nepotism. <laughs> Ada Lovelace. I want to see him dressed oh, up Ada. as one of the very yeah. first developers and computer programmers, Ada Lovelace. Uh, yeah. oh, I, I, I used her really in a talk the other day. Keith is a Keith is a kraken. Okay, so you know. <laughs> but my point is, hopefully, we can have you back again because this is something. There's a lot of topics we can dig into with you, and this is sort of a foundational topic for people who might be interested in actually doing something more than coming up with an idea. I think the end result is um, get ready to hurt. Blood, sweat, tears, my friends. Actually, mm -hmm. put the effort in. What you put in, you'll get back. Uh, try and keep an open mind. Your users are awesome. If you need a community manager, look me up. And if you don't get, if you, if you do <laughs> if you need fail, a developer, 
look up Chris. If you need someone who does great art assets, go grab Patrick. <laughs> if you need a tool to help you with the repos, go see Hamid. Uh, <laughs> um, we, pro we provide for all the needs. <laughs> okay, are we going to do an RTFM this week then? No, I'm actually going to let us get oh. away with our team. Oh, okay, Tell them it's off before the show and you've gone break your own rules. I don't know. Oh. Okay, it's so only because of you guys. It mm. has come to the end of the show. Thank you very much, Hamid. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Um, I've I've usually do a lot of talking, but I've done more listening today because you've you very I've I've loved listening to you. I'm going to watch a few more of your talks as well because it I, I've occasionally in my life I get I come across somebody who is um who inspires me in one way or another and you've inspired me in in what we're talking about today in fact in that I have lots of ideas I've got loads of little things that I've worked on I've even got software that I've written that nobody else has ever used that I use every single day and it's a functional product maybe I can get a community together to you know maybe I can put the product out there and start to working with it you know it solves a problem that somebody else doesn't you know no other software solves but it's a very specific problem to me and what i do so i don't know well you don't know yeah so don't know. Anyway, Please bring it up it inspired me so thank you very much have you got anything you would like to pimp have you got a website uh products anything like that we've already heard about git crack and glow and uh, axosoft and chat yeah no I, chat pure chat. I, uh, I i hate pitching stuff but like if you if you enjoy like um uh, these talks just, you know, Hamid Chojai. I just actually uh, posted a new blog post consolidating all the talks that I've given about software and product and SaaS metrics and all of this stuff. Uh, and my latest post on hamidchojai.com, which no one's going to know how to spell anyway. <laughs> well, they will because they will actually read our show notes and they will see oh, that the show notes will have a link to your website in them because they're good, smart listeners, aren't you? <laughs> But there you go. If you if you like these topics, uh, go to hamichojai.com and uh, look at the latest post. So, okay. it, it, it's a collection of all the talks I've given. Yep, and of course, visit our website, my friends, dnistream.live, where you're going to find links to our Discord server, where we talk dev. Uh, yell and rtfm about all of the things that drive us crazy in the dev world um and security worlds if you really want to get on my nerves do that you can also find links to our github because we do publicly share how we develop things and we'd love if you want to get involved please do um we also have links to our podcasting stuff and yes you can find us on spotify now Everybody raise the roof. So our, our podcast is on the Spotofio, apparently is how I wish to say Pig that. Pig Latin. And, yes. <laughs> and if you go to our website, you can actually contact us to join us as a guest if you want. Come debate with us. You know we like to see Chris get really angry. Really, we've had some fun episodes with that. But you could also suggest a topic or share a story. We love you. Cool. Also, Thanks, you <laughs> Hold on, we're not we're done. Not, just not quite done yet. Nearly. I'm done with this. Screw nah. you guys. I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you want to debate uh, whether light mode or dark mode is better on, the, uh, on, on your IDE, welcome, because there will be some heated uh, discussion about that. But most importantly, follow us on Twitter at DNI Stream, where we post the best of things. The the most amazing of things, development humor, all kinds of stuff. But generally, we have the best Twitter, I'd say, in the entire Twitterverse. So if you're not following us, then you, you ha you're you doing yourself a huge disservice. That's what I'm going to say. 
Wow. I, I'm wondering if we're overselling ourselves or underselling, and I'm thinking it's underselling. Um, anyway, we hope to see you guys next week at 7 p.m. I am trying to nail down a particular guest who is being slightly elusive, but it's not his fault. Some things have happened, and we're trying to make certain everything weaves together. Be aware, next week is our last show for this year. And then we take a break, and then we come back from the holidays. But I anyway. I expect everybody in Twitch chat to be wearing a Christmas jumper. <laughs> I well, have oh, a fantastic okay. Christmas jumper, but I will save that for next week. I um, don't yes. have any. Oh my god, I don't Just, have any. I'm so but, at least show up with clothing on, Patrick. That's all I request. <laughs> but I'm so sexy without it. <clears throat> moving wow. on. So and yes, thank you very much. Forward. Thank you, everybody. Yes, to everybody. Fun for well from Chris. Mm-hmm. See you later, Patrick. <laughs> bye bye. Our fantastic guest, Hamid. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.